Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome, those of you that are on Facebook Live. We're going to try and calm this crowd down a little bit. It's an insurrection, if you will. <laughs> okay. Follow along as I read Romans chapter 9, verses 14 through 24. It says, What should we say then? Is there injustice with God? Absolutely not. For he tells Moses, I will show mercy to whom I will show mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then, it does not depend upon uh, human will or effort, but on God who shows mercy. For the scripture tells Pharaoh, I raised you up for this reason, so that I may display my power in you and that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So then, he shows mercy to those he wants to, and he hardens those he wants to harden. You will say to me, therefore, why then does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, a mere man, to talk back to God? Will what is formed say to the one who formed it, Why did you make me like this? Or has the potter no right over the clay to make from the same lump one piece of pottery for honor and another for dishonor? And what if God, desiring to display his wrath and to make known his power, endured with much patience objects of wrath ready for destruction? And what if he did this to make known the riches of his glory on objects of mercy that he prepared beforehand for glory on us, the ones he also called not only from the Jews, but also from the Gentiles. Let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for another opportunity to look into your word. We would ask, Father, that your spirit would enlighten our eyes, give us grace to understand and to uh, receive the things that you have for us here so that we would not be like we have probably been in the past, questioning you when you are the one that is sovereign, loving, merciful, compassionate, and yet holy and just. Uh, give us wisdom and understanding. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. So uh, for tonight, uh, Israel's unbelief with God's plan is consistent with his person. I kind of gave you the outline for the whole of chapter 9 last week, four points, and they all begin with the same thing, Israel's unbelief, part of God's plan, God, it's consistent with his person, etc. So, uh, whenever Paul is presenting an argument, Paul anticipates questions, uh, because if someone is following along, probably questions are going to come. And especially when you're dealing with subjects that people struggle with. Let me see. What subject might people struggle with? Election, predestination. No, everybody's got those down. Uh, no. <laughs> um, Israel. Well, what about Israel? I mean, let's face it. We talk about a pre-tribulational rapture. We're dispensationalists. We believe that God has one plan that is now in effect called the church. But God promised 70 weeks of judgment upon Israel, and only 69 of them have been fulfilled. So therefore, there's another seven-year period of time whereby God is going to be working on Israel 
and bringing them to repentance, at which point he is going to fulfill his promises, promise to David, promise to Abraham, etc., 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 the promises of the Old Testament, whereby Israel is going to be exalted in their position before the world because they are his chosen people. Now, I, I need you to understand that view is the minority opinion in the quote-unquote evangelical church uh, realm, okay? We're the minority. Most people hold to another view where Israel has been replaced by the church and all the promises are spiritualized. In, In order to come to that position, you really have to do some spiritual jumping jacks to get around certain scriptures. One of the ways they do that is 70 AD. Uh, not only did Israel get totaled, uh, Jerusalem get totaled by the Romans, but Jesus visited. He came back. He did exactly what he said he was going to do, even though he didn't take anybody with him. Like I say, you've got to allegorize a lot of Scripture to hold to that view. But that is, uh, the majority of the church believes that. So when we come to this passage, we're dealing with the fact that Israel rejected their Messiah. Good enough reason to reject them. End of subject. And here Paul is saying, no, he didn't do that. Yes, temporarily, but all part of of God's plan. It is consistent with his person. So let's look at the first question. The first question is, is God fair? And to be honest with you, uh, if you look at that question, the answer is no. But the question that we have here in verse 14 is, is there unrighteousness with God? And obviously uh, that answer is no also. Uh, God is not fair in the sense that if he were fair, we would all be going to hell. Okay? And the reason why that's so important is because if he chooses to, out of the stream of people that are on their way to hell, if he chooses to save some, is there unrighteousness with him? And the answer is no. He doesn't have to save everybody. didn't have to save anybody but he did. Okay, so uh, notice letter A, Paul just made the point that God chose Isaac over Ishmael and Jacob over Esau. That was part of last week's lesson. He had just made that point. Uh, notice uh, those people were not chosen or rejected based upon themselves. In 2 Corinthians 19, 7, it says, so they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots with the king of Ma'aka and his people who came and encamped before Mediba. Also the people of Ammon gathered together from their cities and came to battle. And I'm sure there was a good reason why I chose that verse. But right now, there's too much grease in my hair and I can't remember what it was. I would have to say they they hired for themselves 32,000 chariots, but Obviously, that is not the verse that I was supposed to be looking up. Sorry about that. So they're not chosen or rejected based on themselves. If you remember with uh, Isaac and uh, Jacob, before they are born, before they had done good or evil, God had chosen Jacob. The elder will serve the younger. Okay? They hadn't done anything yet. 
So it wasn't based on their doing both the rejection or the acceptance. Okay? Um, Notice, works past or future. Um, A lot of people like to push the idea that when when a person gets saved, the works aspect, which is the outworking of a new heart, a new spirit, God's spirit living within you, if you're truly born again, that's what he said he was going to do. Now that is going to show itself in good works. Now God's told us to do all these good works, but they're going to happen if you're walking with him. If you're abiding in Christ and his word is abiding in you, you're going to bear fruit. Okay? That's what's going to happen. So when people think that works, good works, are something that you're doing after salvation, kind of as a a repayment type thing, they're kind of missing the point. It's because there is now the life of God in you. Uh, In Benevolence, I ask people each week, if this pen, and I always have one of Chuck's pens, I think this is somebody else's pen, but if this pen had any value and I were going to give it to you as a gift, what would you have to do to get it the dishes need to be washed at my house. They look at me and they go, I guess I'd have to wash the dishes. It's kind of like, you didn't hear it. That was a trick question. I do it on purpose. God's word is full of commands of things that need to be done. But if it's a gift, what do you have to do to get it? If you're having to work for it, it's not a gift. In fact, Paul even makes that point. Uh, back there in Romans chapter 4. A gift is received. You're believing the one wants to give it to you and you receive it. And so uh, notice, not even future works have anything to do with uh, how God chooses people. Notice they are chosen or rejected wholly according to God's sovereign will. Why did God choose Al instead of Loretta? Or instead of Beth? Or instead of Patty? Instead of Billy? Instead of Archie? There's nine kids in my family. As far as I know, I'm the only one that's born again. We're all a bunch of heathens. Okay? Why did he choose me? Oh, it wasn't because I was better than them, that's for sure. Now, I may be better in some ways now as people look in from the outside, but that's the difference that God has made in a person's life, not because I'm better. See what I'm saying? Okay? So, uh, It is fully according to God's sovereign will. Letter C, an accusation raised throughout history when speaking of election and predestination. Uh, Lynn is presently uh, uh, discipling a couple ladies, and they really struggle with the whole election uh, issue. And ultimately, when people struggle with the idea that God could choose to save some of his creation and not choose to save others. They stand in judgment of God. That's not fair. Now the concern is that people that I love, maybe they haven't been chosen. Where does it say in the Bible we're supposed to worry about who's been chosen? It's not there. What are we supposed to do? We're supposed to share the gospel. You know what God does when we share the gospel? He saves who he's going to save. 
and he doesn't save the ones he's not going to save. It is God's work. It's not ours. Ours is to shine as a light and tell people about Jesus. Okay? And if you're not exactly sure how to tell people about Jesus, again, uh, I have a video program in here. They'll teach you some things. We've had EE in here before uh, teach you some things. I don't use EE. I, I use a simple Romans road. But I start out with Romans 1. Gospel is the power of God unto salvation. I end up in 3. Hey, you're all a bunch of dirty, rotten scum of the earth sinners. Numbers, uh, chapter 6. There is a price to be paid. Okay? Uh, oh, wait a minute. It has been paid if you're willing. Okay? Uh, and then we talk about how it was paid, who Jesus Christ is, all that he did, and then the fact that it's trusting in him as the person, confessing him as Lord, and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead. That's what Romans 10.9 says. It doesn't say you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. <laughs> No, it's that he raised from the dead. Why? Because that proves that he's God, Romans 1, 4. And it is what justifies us. He was delivered up for our transgressions, Romans 4, 25, and raised again for our justification. Without the resurrection, it's just not that important anymore. Okay, so human perspective is based on human wisdom and standards. If God didn't choose my children to be saved, then somehow God kind of missed the boat is ultimately what the view that God has to do things my way is all about. Notice our view of what God can or cannot do is not important to him. It's kind of like the ants that are saying, why are you stepping on my, uh, our, our nest? The kid that is stepping on the nest is not worried about what the ants think. Okay, now, God is not stepping on anybody's nest, okay? But our, what we think is important is not necessarily important to God uh, in that way. Uh, notice, for the unsaved, these are unacceptable and ignore or refuse to honor God. If God's going to be that way about it, then I don't want anything to do with him okay, there is a price to be paid for that, okay? What about saved people? Well, immature or ignorant saved people, God simply couldn't do that. He couldn't save, choose to save some and not have it available for everybody else. And, and, you know, the funny thing is, is it is available for everybody else, isn't it? How many times did you hear the gospel before you finally heard the gospel. You know what I mean? Uh, I know I heard the gospel several times before I finally got saved because it is available if you really want to listen. Most people don't want to listen. Look, even after salvation, people that are part of the church don't always want to listen. And I'm not just talking about numbers on Sunday night service. Hardly anybody does Sunday night service. I'm talking about Sunday morning service. Uh, how many people get up and go to the bathroom 15 times during the service? Okay. Uh, why? Because they have a, a problem? No, they don't want to hear. Th this is boring. I don't know about you, but learning about eternal life, one of the most exciting things out there. 
but okay, so uh, immature or ignorant uh, save people. God, God wouldn't do that. Well, actually, yes, he would. Is there unrighteousness with God? Number two, certainly not. The word there is meganoitu. It is used 10 times in the book of Romans, and it can basically be translated, God forbid, or may it never be. This is one of those really emphatic statements that you get the idea that, no, there's not even a, a smidgen of the possibility here, okay? Notice God is the measure of righteousness and justice. Uh, if we look at God's character, I'll, I'll just read a few of these verses here. Psalm 7, 9, Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, please, <laughs> but establish the just, for the righteous God tests the hearts and minds. Psalm 48.10, according to your name, O God, so is your uh, praise to the ends of the earth. Your right hand is full of righteousness. Psalm 71.19, also your righteousness, O God, is very high. You have uh, you who have done great things, O God, who is like you? And, and you could continue on. Let me just do uh, Malachi 3.6, for I am the Lord. I do not change. And I think the reason why we need to emphasize that is God in the Old Testament seems to be mean. When we come into the New Testament, we got Jesus. He just loves everybody. Uh, no, God does not change. The same God of the Old Testament is the same God of the New Testament. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. Now, catch that. Because I am righteous, yet merciful and gracious, you're not consumed. Okay? Uh, notice God's word to man's wisdom. John, uh, Jeremiah 9, uh, 23 through 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. So again, God is the standard. He doesn't change the standard, bend the rules or regulations for anybody because he is who he is and he does not change. So as far as man's wisdom, uh, man looking at God and saying, that's not fair, uh, he's not really concerned. Okay? Notice number three. Paul, first sighting of God's word to argue. He goes on to say, For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. You'll find that in Exodus 33, 19. In the context, uh, Moses has been up on the mountain a little bit too long, and people are starting to complain. They come to Aaron, and Aaron leads them into idolatry in Exodus 32, 2 through 6. Uh, Moses had prayed for the people in verses 30 through 31. God declares that he will punish their sin in verses 33 through 34. And Moses asks God, God's presence to lead the people in Exodus 33, 
verses 12 and 13. Uh, God had been so upset after all that he had done in Egypt for them, leading them through the Red Sea, destroying the armies of Pharaoh. They get in, and the first chance they get, they build themselves a little uh, golden calf and start committing uh, spiritual idolatry, uh, spiritual adultery. But not only that, in worshiping this false god, they were participating in the activities of that false worship. When Moses comes down the hill, he breaks the, t- uh, the t- uh, tablets with the Ten Commandments on them, and he talks to the priests and says, hey, anyone who's involved in this stuff, kill them. And one of the guys, I think it was Phineas, takes a spear and goes right through a man and a woman who are involved in fornication, adultery, etc. And therefore, his side of the family uh, kind of got some uh, thumbs up uh, from God and Moses. But uh, at, at this point, God's sitting there saying, okay, that's it. I- I'm done with these people. Moses, we're going to uh, start something new with you. And Moses sitting there saying, whoa, whoa wait a minute. Uh, if you were to do that... Um, everyone would know you just brought them out in the desert to kill them. And that's not going to look good on you as far as the nations are going. So, hey, if you're going to do that, wipe me out of your book too. Okay? And God says, nah, we're not. We're not. And that was not something like, I'm going to change God's mind. That was God testing Moses. Moses passed the test, okay? But when we get into that second chapter, Moses is saying, hey, I, I know these guys really messed up, but please, don't leave us. If you're not going to lead us into the land, you know, we're just going to sit here. Uh, that kind of a thing. At which point, uh, God shows Moses what can be known about him in Exodus thirty-three nineteen, uh, which says, And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And of course, if you were to follow that passage, you would see that as he uh, passed by Moses, Moses is in the cleft of the rock, and uh, God kind of covers him up when the, the, the intensity of his glory is there. But as he kind of passes, what can be known about God is proclaimed to Moses under the, this condition. I'm the one that can have mercy I'm the one that can harden, and uh, that is okay. So that's your context. Notice, everyone has done wrong. Okay? When we talk about there is none righteous, no, not one, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Uh, Where does that leave us all? The wages of sin is death. We all deserve hell. Okay. Yeah, but I'm not that bad. Yeah, but you're not the judge. The judge who has the standard down is 100% holy, pure, without any shadow of turning. And you may not be bad compared to, but compared to God, you fall short. You do not glorify him. Okay, so notice everyone deserves what justice brings, condemnation. That's what we all deserve. Now, some people believe there are different temperatures in hell. However, that shows itself. Um, Whole point being is, yes, 
you might not be bad as that guy over there. And maybe things are somehow going to be worse for him in hell than for you. But if you go to hell, it's still going to be bad. Okay? Um, because that's what condemnation is. Notice, if God shows mercy, it is purely grace. Again, he didn't have to save anybody. You hear these people say, I can't believe a loving God would. And our answer is, I can't believe a holy God would save anyone. And I I left the first one undone because they, they use that for so many different things. The reality is, is a holy God, a just God, if He doesn't do something about our sin, we all deserve condemnation. But He does show mercy, and it is purely grace. Notice number three, compassion is the di- disposition behind mercy being the action. You know, the, the fact that He saved you proves that He's merciful. Why? Because He had compassion on you. Why? We all want to come back and say, well, because I'm not that bad. <laughs> the reality is, is think about some of the saints that he saved in the Old Testament. Okay? Uh, Samson. I love Samson because he is the one that defies what people, especially legalistic people, want to put on us. Okay? He's a fornicator. Uh, he's messing around with prostitutes and women that he's not supposed to be around. He's touching dead things that he's not supposed to do. He's not living up to his oath. And yet, there is every reason to believe from uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that he is in heaven. Now, we can talk about the judgment seat of Christ and seeing a, a lot of his life burned up. It didn't have any eternal value. Okay? But God used even him. Okay? Uh, But what about David? Let me see. Committed adultery, had the husband killed, um, counted the people. Hey, you know, my arm is getting pretty big. Joab, let's count them, see how many we got. (laughs) All all kinds of things. Uh, Not a one of them passed passed muster. Uh, What about uh, Samuel? Samuel was a great guy uh, until you look at his kids. And, and I don't say that with any form of pride, like, you know, go ahead and look at mine. They're a lot better. No, 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 no. Okay. It's just a matter of obviously somewhere in the rush, Samuel wasn't the kind of father that he maybe should have been, could have been, that kind of thing. So uh, compassion is the disposition behind mercy being the action. So the answer to the question, so then, it is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs. It, It is in no way, God's election is in no way dependent upon the persons, but of God who shows mercy. That That's all there is to it has nothing to do with how good-looking you are, uh, how nice you might have been. You know, when we compare my wife and I, my wife was saved at age 10. Because of her desire to please mom and dad, it probably saved her from a lot of sinful choices. So she was saved 
from sin. Uh, I was uh, running away from home when I was 14, 16, uh, moved 17 times by the time I'm 21, uh, involved in uh, a lot of things that we don't need to talk about right now. But whole point being is I was saved out of sin. So if you're to look at our lives, who's better? Her by a long shot. And yet God saves both of us. Why? Because somehow she's going to show forth glory to God. Somehow I'm going to show forth glory to God. And not because of us, because of the work that he does in us. So it really does come down to God who shows mercy. Number four, Paul's second citing of God's word to argue his point. Uh, letter A, for the scripture says to Pharaoh in Exodus nine sixteen. 16. Um, let me go ahead and read that one for you. Exodus 9, 16, But indeed, for this purpose I have raised you up, that I may show my power in you, and that my name may be declared in the earth. So notice he's quoting it perfectly there. Um, Pharaoh considered himself an absolute monarch. There was nobody else that he had to answer to. He thought that, uh, uh, that all that he did and said was by his own free choice. He's not accountable to anybody. No one tells him what to do. Okay? God's purpose for this very purpose I have raised you up. God's purpose for Pharaoh. The word raised up there is exergeru, uh, to rouse fully, to resuscitate from death, to release from infliction, to raise up. This word is used of the Messiah in Numbers 24.19. It's used of David's son Absalom in 2 Samuel 12.11. The lowly in Job 5.11. The Chaldeans. Habakkuk 1.6. Let me, let me read that one for you. Um, Habakkuk 1.6. For, for indeed I am raising up the Chaldeans, a bitter and hasty nation, which marches through the breadth of the earth to possess dwelling places that are not theirs. Now, Habakkuk is recognizing that God is going to bring one of the wickedest nations in existence at that time up against Israel. You know, we know Israel's bad, but... They're worse. Why would you be bringing them? You know, we know we've had our issues in America, but why Joe Biden? It would be the same thing. God raises up. Now, we can talk about falsified voting and all that kind of stuff. None of it went past God's attention. And ultimately, he installed what we got. You know, it's kind of like, really? Yes. Uh, Pharaoh was raised up for this very purpose. And then, of course, in Zechariah eleven sixteen, 16, uh, the Antichrist is raised up. For indeed, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that stand, still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the, and the, uh, excuse me, the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. This is a shepherd that God is going to raise up, and it's specifically dealing with Israel. He's doing it because of them, to bring them to repentance and to judge them for their, uh, uh, if you will, atheism almost, okay? So uh, uh, that's the, how the word is used. 
And for this purpose, God raised up Pharaoh. Notice that I may show my power in you and my name may be declared in all the earth. Think about it. After they left Egypt some 3,500 years ago, Passover is still one of their most sacred days. Okay? Now, we see the fulfillment of Passover in the death of Christ. Amen? Okay, his blood is shed, and now we don't have to worry about death. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. But for them, they're still celebrating Passover. And what about Rahab? Well, in Joshua 2, 9 through 11, this is Rahab speaking. He says, she says, and she said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Now, if you don't remember, they decided not to come up into the land when God said, go up into the land. And God said, okay, fine. Then you're all going to die wandering through the wilderness, anybody that's tw over 20 years old. And the next generation will go in. Well, we're up to the next generation. All the adults have passed along the way. They buried them in the desert, that kind of thing. And now Joshua is getting ready to go into the land, sends in the spies, um, and Rahab has seen a couple of them. So she invites them and hides them on the roof, that kind of thing. And this is what she's saying to them at that point. I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Uh, excuse me. That didn't happen yesterday. That happened 40 years ago. And yet... We know about it, and we're all kind of worried knowing what's going to happen. Okay, he dried up the Red Sea for you, and when you, came, when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed, and as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. So God's power is demonstrated. How? Well, first by drying up, giving them a dry path across the, the Red Sea. And then when they all get across, what happens? They all decided to sing a song. Why? Because Pharaoh and his army, they went into the Red Sea and the waves went, done, it's over. We never have to worry about these people again. They're not going to go home, gather up an army, and then come into the wilderness and get us. They're all dead. Okay? So uh, that was such a big deal. And of course, you could read Psalm 105 and Psalm 106 and Psalm 136. They all uh, add to it. Number five, therefore, he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills, he hardens. The word hardens there is scleruno, to endurate, to render stubborn, to harden. Nobody here struggles with stubbornness, correct? <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, my wife used that term about me today. It's kind of like, you're stubborn. It's kind of like, no! Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's part of our, our uh, 
human nature, part of our sinful nature. But notice, Exodus speaks various times of Pharaoh hardening his heart. I, I give you a list there, uh, 714, 815, 832, 934. These are all times when Pharaoh hardened his heart. And it also speaks 10 times of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Starting in 421, when he's talking to Moses about going back, he says, I will harden Pharaoh's heart. Seven, chapter 7, verse 3, verse 13, chapter 9, verse 12, chapter 10, verse 1, verse 20, verse 27, chapter 11, verse 10, chapter 14, verse 8. These are all times when it says that God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Guess what's in between all of those? Um, a bunch of other verses that it says, and Pharaoh's heart was hardened. It doesn't tell you who did the hardening, but it was hardened. Okay? Whole point being, man's natural state is under condemnation. Uh, John 3.18, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already. Remember, that stream of humanity heading to hell and God chooses to save some. They believe they're not under condemnation anymore. The rest of them, they were on their way to hell. They're still on their way to hell. They're already under condemnation. John eight twenty four. Therefore I said to you that you will die in your sins. For if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. N- notice what they have to believe. They have to believe in the person of Christ. Not oh, within the person of Christ is everything that is true about him, including his works. Now, the reason why I say that is because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved, right? Well, he hadn't died yet, so they're having to believe who he is. He's the Messiah that was foretold that was coming, and they were rejecting him as that Messiah. They were saying, ah, we want the ruling king. We don't want the suffering servant. You know, uh, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. We don't want that guy. We want the one that's going to conquer Rome. Okay, well, if that's the case, you're going to die in your sins unless you believe that I am he. That's basically what's going on in that discussion. So uh, notice in uh, letter B, God's mercy precedes people choosing him. John 6, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, one of the reasons why I like this verse is because people say, well, if he's lifted up, John chapter 3, like the serpent in the wilderness, it'll draw all men. Well, obviously, drawing all men doesn't bring people to Christ, does it? Where in this particular case, the Father is drawing them to be saved. So obviously, there's a couple of different types of drawing there. Okay, uh, And then, of course, John 15, 16. Uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. Uh, and again, this is not choosing them to be apostles. This is choosing them for everything that is included in their salvation. So uh, 
God's mercy precedes people choosing him. Letter B, the second anticipated question, verses 18 through 24. He starts out with the word if. If he has mercy on whom he wills, and whom he wills he hardens, then we have a then. Why does he still find fault? For who has resisted his will? Now, I don't know about you, but that seems to be a logical question. If he's going to be the one that has mercy or hardens, then and no one can resist him, then why does he find fault with the person that didn't resist him or couldn't resist him? Logical question, but there are other things that come into play here. Second uh, Chronicles 20, verse 6, And uh, said, The Lord God of our fathers, who you, uh, are you not in heaven? And do you not rule over all the kingdoms of the nations? And in your hand is there not power and might, so that no one is able to withstand you? Okay, Job 9.12, if he takes away, who can hinder him? Who can say to him, what are you doing? Job 23.13, but he is unique, and who can make him change? Whatever his soul desires, that he does. Daniel 4.35, one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. No one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? Look, if the creator decides that this stream of people on their way to condemnation, he chooses to save some and others not to save them, who are they to say, why not? Why didn't you save me? You made me this. Oh, slow down. Did he? He created, but people choose. And those choices become habits or addictions. And those choices become character. Ooh. So who's responsible for the choices. Yeah, but God, you made me this way. Uh, you know, I understand what you think you're saying. My, my dad was a drunk. He started drinking when he was a teenager. Now, you can talk about the stresses that were in his life. You can talk about uh, the abusive, angry father. Um, you can talk about all those things. And in the midst of trials, what does James say? Count it all joy. If you lack wisdom, ask God. If anyone sins, they're drawn away of their own lusts and enticed. My father drank to the point where he couldn't hold a job anymore. Whose fault was that? Within that period of time, his bitterness destroyed a marriage. Okay? Whose fault was that? God's? He's the one that chose. He's the one that chose. He's the one that chose. Now, here I'm raised with that. And when it's finally time to leave step-parents and, and parents, what do I do? I'm working all week long as a carpenter. I'm making my money. And on Thursday night, I get my paycheck. And I go and cash that check. And I start drinking. Why? 
because I'm, I'm bent that way, and that's how we learned how to handle life's issues. But I was choosing. No one was making me drink, okay? Um, and so whole point being is people want to blame God when in reality they're the ones that actually made the choices. So notice... Uh, going back to our uh, passage here, uh, he has mercy on whom he has mercy. He uh, hardens whom he hardens. Um, notice uh, letter uh, B there underneath number one. God is utterly sovereign. Romans eleven seven. What then? Israel has not obtained what it seeks, but the elect have obtained it, and the rest were blinded. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. For God not, did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, now, uh, people want to get on there and talk about he didn't appoint us to wrath, but he appointed the other people. No, no, no. They, we were all on our way to wrath. He appointed us to be saved. Okay? Uh, so m- moving back to our outline here. Uh, God is merciful and gracious, destining some for salvation. Ephesians uh, 1, 4 and 5, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself, according to the good will of his pleasure. So he graciously has destined some for salvation. God is just and will condemn others because of their sin and unbelief. Second Peter nine, uh, two nine through twelve. Second Peter doesn't have nine chapters. Remember, <laughs> uh, chapter two verses nine through twelve. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation and to reserve for the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who walk according to the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise authority. They are presumptuous, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries, whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. But these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption. I don't know about you, but Peter doesn't kind of mince words. He just kind of says it the way it is. Whoa! So God is merciful, but he is also just. Number two, proclamation of God's justice instead of explaining it. He goes on to say, but indeed, O man, basically, on the contrary, O man, blasphemous self-justification or seeking truth. He says, who are you to reply against God? Will the thing formed say to him who formed it, why have you made me like this? See, when we sit there and say, somehow God is unrighteous because he's not doing things the way I think he should, who's God at that point? Yeah, me. Okay? And uh, that's what Paul is really, he, he's making, I, I'm not going to explain to you, he says. I'm going to tell you, this is the way it is. Uh, Job 33.3 3 says, or 13, sorry about that. 
Do you uh, contend with it? Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. Isaiah 29, 16. Surely you have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing made say to him who made it, he did not uh, make me? Or shall the thing formed say to him who formed it, he has no understanding? And, and this is what mankind does. You know, I don't like the fact that God made me. I'm not going to be accountable to him. I think he made a mistake in my gender. I think, I think, who cares what you think? God is fully sovereign. He is gracious, merciful, and yet he is just. He does not give an account to you. You give an account to him. Uh, Isaiah 45, 9, Woe to him who strives with his maker. Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Shall the clay say to him who formed it, What are you making? Or shall your handiwork say, He has no hands? So, uh, Isaiah 64, 6-8, But we are uh, all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind have taken us away. And there is no one who calls on your name, who stirs himself up to take hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and have consumed us because of our iniquities. But now, O Lord, you are our Father." We are the clay, and you are potter, and all we are the work of your hands. Yes, the unsaved and the saved alike. We are the work of his hands. Being the creator, he has the right to do as he chooses. Notice, does not the potter have power over the clay from the same lump to make one vessel for honor and another for dishonor? Okay, Proverbs uh, 16.4, the Lord has made all for himself. Yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Jeremiah 18.6, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. 2 Timothy 2.20, But in a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Uh, the idea of honor and dishonor, uh, a lot of people are on the city sewer system, so we don't think about this anymore. But those of you that grew up with a septic tank or uh, still have one, maybe, depending on how far out you live, uh, whole point being is what kind, if you had to clean it out, what kind of bucket would you use? Would you go in and get the wife's crystalline vase? Or would you find that five-gallon Lowe's bucket with the handle on it? I don't know about you, but I'm not using the crystalline vase. <laughs> okay, that's the idea there. Now, what makes us a crystalline vase? Yeah, uh, it's through his salvation that we become that. Otherwise, we were just that old plastic bucket, or if you will, a clay pot. Uh, so God... Uh, uh, God, it's God's house, and He has reasons for both of those vessels. Um, no, number three, two reasons for God allowing sin to enter and to contaminate His universe. Uh, again, uh, watching TikTok videos, and I get the religious side of things, and people uh, ask these questions. 
these same questions 2,000 years after they were written. But it's kind of like, why would God do this if he knew it was going to turn out that way? As there really is an answer. No one's going to like it because it's not about you. Okay? So let's take a look here. Um, two reasons for God allowing sin to enter and contaminate his universe. First, he wanting to show his wrath. The word wanting there is thelo. Uh, it means to determine, to choose or prefer. This is not the idea of, well, I would like to. No, no. He, this is purposeful. He's wanting to show his wrath. The wrath is one way of displaying his glory. Just like grace or anything else that is part of his divine nature and character. Um, when you think about uh, what's going on today when it comes to feminism, toxic masculinity, and all that kind of stuff. Uh, the reality is, is men are not women. Okay? And because they're not women, they're, they think differently, they act differently. Do they need some of the curbing that a, a relationship with a woman would bring? Oh, yeah, yeah. It is not good for a man to be alone. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Why? Because you get the other part of God's character in there and you become a more complete human being. But the reality is, is men are men, okay? And uh, yes, that's not an excuse for when they act like brute beasts and do things that they shouldn't ought to do. But the reality is, is we as men are never going to think like you as women. Uh, my, my wife will tell me something a month ahead of time. Hey, on such and such a day, we're going to do this. And I go, okay, you know. But between here and a month from now, I'm tying my little knots. My rope goes out and I finish a project and I tie that little knot. The rope goes out and I finish that project and I tie that little knot. A week, well, no. Two days before we're going to do something, she goes, remember, on Friday we're doing this. And I go, you never told me that. Why not? That was so many knots ago, I don't remember it. Yeah, I need some reminders there because my rope is going out and I'm tying that little knot and moving on. You women, how do you think? Spiderweb! You know, I mean, not only does she tell me a month ahead of time, she remembers the time, what I was wearing, uh, you know, the whole shebang, and never forgets all of that stuff because we're different, okay? We need each other, but we're different. And, and whole point being is when we talk about toxic masculinity, anything that is masculine somehow is, is bad. Kind of, no. It's the way God made us. Again, doesn't excuse where we do things wrong. But we are different. Okay, so wrath is one aspect of God's character. Grace and mercy are another aspect. They both show His glory. So part of displaying His glory is that His wrath is going to be shown. Okay? Second, to make His power known. God's power displayed in creation is equally glorious in his judgment and punishment of sin. <clears throat> Although he would be just if he judged today in his mercy, he has shown to those 
appointed for salvation. I already read First uh, Thessalonians uh, five nine. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. So through His mercy, He has uh, shown that mercy by appointing some for salvation. He endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. So He is putting up with. The wickedness of the wicked, the foolishness of the foolish, yes, even the politicians. He's putting up with all of that. Why? Because in the midst of putting up with that, he's saving people. Okay? You and I are examples of that. But more than that, in uh, 1 Peter 2.8 it says, And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, they stumble, being disobedient to the word to which they were also appointed. Jude 1.4, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, again, with TikTok, I, I see progressive Christians. I see uh, woke Catholics. And, you know, what did Jesus say about this subject or that subject? And they turn the piece of paper over and there's nothing on the other side. And it's kind of like, yeah, um, so just because he didn't say anything using that particular word, does it mean it's okay? Pedophilia, for example. You know, Jesus never spoke about pedophilia. But what did he speak about? He said, look, if you offend one of these little ones, oh boy, you are in trouble. The idea of offend is not, well, you know, I'm just offended. It's not that kind of thing. It's causing them uh, trouble, grief, that kind of thing. And God has a high uh, appreciation for children. What does he do? He sits one of them on his lap and says, look, if you're going to enter the kingdom of heaven, you've got to do it like this one right here. They believe what I say. We adults? No, no, that can't be right. Uh, we're we're going to measure God by our opinion. Kind of like, woo. So, um, so he endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Notice vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. God doesn't make men sinful. He leaves them in their sin. Notice, Pastor went through Romans 1 again this morning. Uh, when they knew God, they did not honor Him as God. They weren't thankful. They became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming themselves to be wise. They became fools. And then they exchanged the glory of God for the glory of man and beast and creeping thing. And God stepped back and said, okay, let's see how that works out for you. He gave them up to sexual immorality. That doesn't mean that he made them commit that. They felt as though, hey, the way we've always done it, let's go back to the late 60s, early 70s, you know, the way they've always done it, they're just a bunch of Victorian snobs. We need love. So you had the sexual revolution. And then in the mid-80s, homosexuality kind of came out of the closet. Why? Because AIDS came about. Interesting that uh, at that time it was called an alternative love style. Uh, U.S. News and World Report did a little study on this and that they found that the average, notice average, homosexual male had 573 partners. 
That is not an alternative love style. That's lust. Okay, that's all it is. Now, we've seen where uh, homosexuality has gone. The next giving over to a reprobate mind to do what ought not to be done. I don't know about you, but it wasn't too many years ago that they were saying pedophilia was an alternative love style. Now, we don't want you to call them pedophiles because that's offensive. Call them minor attracted people. We as a nation have been given over to a debased mind. God does not uh, make men sinful. He leaves them in their sin. Yes, ma'am. CRT. CRT. Uh, Black Lives Matters. Um, any number of things that we're seeing today, which is pushing through communistic methods, communism and socialism on this country. Now, do we as a nation deserve the freedom that Christian principles in the Constitution have given us for so many years? No, we really don't. Okay? I sure hope we keep the freedom that we have. But God is using all that stuff because He didn't make men sin, but He does leave them in their sin. Notice they're prepared by their own rejection. This nation is the one that said, God, we don't need you anymore. We're going to take the Bible out of schools. We're going to take prayer out of schools. And it wasn't 10 to 15 years later the sexual revolution happened. And 10 to 15 years after that, homosexuality came out of the closet. And 15 years after that, where pedophilia is becoming a big deal, child sex trafficking and things like that. Kind of like, wow. So they are prepared by their own rejection. Number two, why? Why does he put up with this? That he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. <laughs> Again, because while he's putting up with them, he is saving people. Notice uh, Ephesians 2, 6 and 7. And he raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Riches of glory, we are all saved without any merit or work of our own, which he prepared beforehand for glory. This is specifically dealing with Election, predestination. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. Okay? Notice, God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Ezekiel 18.32, For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore turn and live. Second Peter 3.9, The Lord is not slack concerning His promises, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Uh, brothers and sisters, th this passage seems to indicate that not only is God saving people while He is enduring with much long-suffering the uh, vessels of wrath, but it seems as though He's 
doing that, putting up with them for so long that we might understand the mercy that he has shown to us. That seems to indicate that when they are cast into hell, we're finally going to get a clue. Kind of like, wow, I wasn't any better than that one. Look what I'm getting compared to what he's getting. We both deserve that. But he saved me. Wow, is God merciful. See what I'm saying? So there seems to be a couple things. He's still saving people, but we're so spiritually so slow that it's kind of like when they get what they deserve that we're really going to understand what we got out of it. Wow. Well, 705. Clear as mud, right? If you didn't get much else, you see where God is sovereign. He chooses. He brings about. And no one can accuse him of wrongdoing in the midst of it all because we all deserve to get what they're going to get. Okay? And if anything, we ought to sit there and say, wow, God has been gracious to me. Let's close in prayer. Father, again, we are thankful. We are amazed at your graciousness. Uh, We recognize, Lord, your power. It's displayed around us all over the place in creation. We uh, recognize your wisdom and and the principles that we see uh, both in uh, nature as well as in, in life in general. But Father, to think that there are vessels of wrath that ultimately you are going to show your wrath on. Uh, Sometimes we sit there and say, well, anytime you're ready. But in the meantime, give us grace to be the lights shining in the midst of uh, dark and perverse generation. Open uh, those opportunities whereby we might share the gospel of Jesus Christ, especially with those that uh, you have yet to save that uh, might still be available. And Lord, give us grace to trust you You know what's best. You know what you're doing. We may not always have a clue, but uh, we can know one thing, that you are just in all that you do, as well as merciful and gracious. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen.